when you've tried everything you know and things are still not things are still not going well and you just need maybe some more intense treatment some more intense support uh, we're going to talk about those treatment for those treatment options some of those treatment op options are in-house some of those treatments are in facility some of those treatments are uh, on the golf course and in the cigar lounge and, and, and wherever else. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm really excited. So I'm gonna start out, um, uh, I'm gonna start out, where did Mike go? Uh, there's Mike. So I'm gonna start out by introducing Mike Brunk. Did I say that right, Mike? Close enough? <laughs> yes, sir. All yeah, right. From uh, Re Recovery Centers America, right? Yes, sir, Recovery Centers of America. I always say treatment centers, but it's Recovery Centers of America. Uh, Mike has been, it's got a man been the contact hinge pinned here for this rest of this team that he's brought. Uh, while, uh, and, and Mike will talk more about the RCA later on, but tonight is not just about RCA. It's about anything and everything. And all these different individuals have different solutions or opportunities that someone could take advantage of. Uh, and I'm, that's what I'm really excited about is this, is, as hard as this is, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And sometimes that we were just talking before we came on, sometimes you have to bounce through three or four of them before you hook on to the one that happens to be the one for you. Uh, so Mike, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and introduce your team. Absolutely. Um, so, so again, I, you know, for everybody, hi everybody. My name's uh, Michael Mike Brunk. I'm um, I'm a I'm a treatment advocate. Um, I have been blessed. Uh, I I view it as a blessing um, to be able to you know not only work with sort of the general population, general public when they're struggling with substance use disorder. This is something that I you know have had my own personal experiences with, and really growing up and 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 sort of witnessing the the effects that it can have on the individual as well as the family, but also, you know, being blessed to be able to work, you know, pretty closely with our, our brothers and sisters that are first responders. Um, my father is a retired police officer. Um, I, I am not a, a first responder in the, in, 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 the, in the respect that I've never been a firefighter, or a, an EMT or a police officer. However, you know, from a family member's perspective, I certainly have seen, you know, what what the effects of, of just not having positive coping mechanisms can ultimately have on the individual as well as, you know, the family. Um, so, you know, and, and in my discovery and, and really learning this world of, of not only substance use disorder and mental health, um, but also learning the world of, of, of badged professionals, first responders, which, you know, I've heard it said many times, there's a, a language that is unique and specific to this world, to these individuals. Um, so I, I feel extremely fortunate to be, to be able to be part of this and thank you, Nick, for, for reaching out and, and inviting myself. And um, so when I, you know, when I spoke with Nick, he had said, you know, bring a couple guys and, and I, I really wanted to do it justice. So, you know, I kind of, you know, I racked my brain. I, I, I know quite a few people in this world that do really good stuff, but I, I wanted to offer some, maybe, you know, some diversity in terms of the perspective and, and personal experiences. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of go in order of how I have them on my screen. So I invited Joe um, Rizzuti, who, who has been just a tremendous asset for myself, as well as 
so many others um, that struggle, you, you know, are currently struggling with substance use and, and really helping them to find their path, which is what Nick was, was saying. And, and, I, and I'm not going to take away, uh, you know, Joe's thunder here, but, but he's a retired police officer. He's part of the Fraternal Order of Brotherhood, um, uh, Massachusetts Police. And, um, you know, he's really, really engaged in, in lots of different treatment options. Um, I know he works really closely with Onsite. He's, you know, used RCA as well as, you know, Granite and McLean. And, and there are some really great resources out there. And he's just been a really fantastic wealth of knowledge. Um, and then Brian Smith, um, who actually is our peer support lead at our Danvers location. He's also with us tonight. Um, Brian is a retired firefighter. Um, and I've been fortunate to spend time with Brian at the facility. Um, he and I have spoken, you know, on more than one occasion, and, and he shared with me his experiences. And I've also been really blessed to watch him in action, um, working with our first responders in the facility, in, peer, in, in that sort of, you know, morning meeting, morning huddle where, you know, the patients are together and it's really raw and, and you know, he's offering his own personal perspective and, and and, and just really just trying to, you know, help them to calm and, and settle themselves into the treatment process itself once they've chosen, you know, that an inpatient level of care is, is what's right for them at that time. Um, and just a super guy. And then um, Jeff, um, last but not least, Jeff is, uh, he's a Springfield fire department, uh, he, he, firefighter rather. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, when I first got started in all of this about a year and a half, two years ago, um, Jeff was one of my first contacts in this world. And, um, and he's been fantastic. In fact, he, he, he uh, introduced me to Joe. He gave me Joe's, Joe's information and, and I ran with it and, and Joe's been great. But, you know, Jeff's, you know, he's just a super down to earth guy. He's active in the department. He's meeting, you know, your brothers and sisters right, right where they're at, you know, when they're in crisis, um, you know, he's talking to them about their different options. Uh, and that might be an inpatient level of care that could be an outpatient level of care, but, you know, he's really there to help them find their path and, you know, and, and sort of make their, their way through their own personal journey. So I'm just really super excited that, that these, these gentlemen are here with us tonight because I think that each one of them in their own right are, are just amazing people and doing God's work. And I feel like that's what we're all doing. And, um, you know, and, and, and again, I, you know, I can't thank all of you that are participating tonight for all that you do. Um, you know, it's a tough time with, in this age, you know, and, and it, for, you know, forget about COVID, but all of the extra stress that's being put on our, on our badge professionals and the media and, and, you know, a lot of the negativity that's being slung out there, it's, it's to me, it's, it breaks my heart, um, you know, and, and, and we need to prepare us. We need, we need to equip ourselves with resources that we can support our men and women when they need us. And, and, and to me, that's not shaming. That's not, that's not blasting in the media. That's, that's doing what we're doing right now and creating a solid foundation. Um, so I'll leave it at that. And then, um, yeah, I don't know if if uh, in, 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 if there requires individual introductions or how you want to run with it, Nick. But these are the guys, and and um, thanks for having us. No, I thank you so much. And one of the things that you've said a couple uh, that a, a a trend or a, a concept I hear already is the peer support. Uh, Connecticut does have a peer support system. I I uh, did not get the opportunity to invite some of those guys. I I know some of those guys have traveled up to Worcester and. After a couple of fatalities and stuff, it helped up out there. Uh, but Joe, I, I would like to start with you because we talked a little bit about this earlier this afternoon. So the 
if I get this right, peer supported could be anywhere. It does not necessarily have to be sitting in a room passing a pillow around when it's your turn to speak. Well, peer support, well, the, the most important part of it, it's got to have a, in a, a, a standard of care. And that's something that right now uh, in the policing, all the chiefs um, who you will figure out that I'm really not too crazy about on the police side uh, as I speak, um, they're, they're all jumping on the bandwagon because what's going on and they're, uh, they, they, they're trying to do it their own way. Uh, Dr. Mitchell had set out a standard um, a good peer support program is laid out to a standard and it's worked to a standard. Uh, yeah, peer support can be done, you know, uh, there's a, uh, in different ways. It could be the one-on-one -on -one setting. It doesn't have to be the debriefing. It depends on the incident. Uh, that being said, I don't do anything. And I think uh, Brian uh, is familiar the way we work in Massachusetts. We've got 19 teams right now that uh, are sanctioned by the state. The fire marshal controls them because, in, in there's police and fire. The, the budget comes out of the fire marshal's office because they're better with math than us cops. Um, and we have, when we are broken down to the, into the fire districts, uh, the way it was explained to us, and when an incident comes in, um, they will dispatch appropriately. But when I go out to do a one-on-one -on -one or I go out to a call, everything's done to, a, I call a control desk. Um, I'm, it, it's peer-driven but clinically supported. So I don't do a move without talking to my psychologist about who I'm going to, where I'm going to, what I'm doing. That's on the one-on-one -on -one basis. On the uh, given instance on a debriefing, like a fatal car accident or something that comes down, we have a, um, a point person that will set up everything. And we go out and we have a core people. We call it the guard squad, um, a chaplain. We have the clinician. We have all our roles and we put the right person and that that's all about the teams knowing who we have to respond we're all volunteer in massachusetts uh and we just passed a law uh about three years ago that protects us on the confidentiality now that being said we have two rogue teams in massachusetts that these chiefs of police want to dictate how peer support's supposed to be run but needless to say the problem with that is nobody's talking to those teams they're calling our teams so to get to the question, yeah, it's supposed to, it, it could be done uh, at a Dunkin' Donuts on, on the 101s, but usually um, it has to be done to a standard, and we can't get away from that standard because you do more harm than good. I, I'm glad you said that. I, I should also put out there that um, Connecticut also has a post-traumatic stress team. Cable, yes, um, they're excellent. The folks over and, Cable. Right, and I think and, uh, an interesting thing here is all of this – I don't know about all of this, but a lot of this came just from Jeff Mitchell, uh, whose, whose brother was a New York City firefighter, um, who kind of got a, came up with this stuff. He had his own his own significant event, which he talked about. The, the, the aircraft that went down to the Potomac. That's how it all started. With uh, The firefighters had a better deal. Brian, you, you remember the story where the firefighters would go back and they would talk at the kitchen table. Right. Like we have... Yeah, and the cops didn't have that. We're independent operators. Yeah. And when he was a student going to school, him along, and he reached out to Doc Duggan, who was the guru up at onsite, our, our, our leader up at onsite, and who's working with Boston's peer, uh, peer support, the police, and they come up with the whole concept back in the eighties. And it's it's a, I spent the weekend um, uh, in the eighties. I can't. I don't remember the eighties, frankly. <laughs> But I, I remember I spent the weekend down at uh, um, Baltimore County 
campus uh, of University of Maryland, Baltimore County campus, campus uh, learning and doing that. And uh, again, the, that's the gestation for the Connecticut team, for the, a lot of these teams. So there is that needs to be that. And again, I, please don't, the, for those folks from Connecticut, uh, there's no slight to them. Uh, in fact, Tim talked about the team last time and their, you know, their availability. I, but I wanted to stick with this team because this is the group that we're talking to uh, relative to that to the treatment center. Uh, let's since, uh, Bob, let's let's talk from the on the fire side because the the point he makes and I think the San Diego crash, plane crash was another great example where the engine companies got to go back to the station, but there was a lot of individual patrol guys, and they they just didn't they just they you know they just dwelled on it and dwelled on it. Um, I mean, even if you're running two for a car, there's only so at least you can talk to somebody. But let's talk about the fire side of it, and and what you, what have you seen from the from the uh, peer support? Well, first of all, on a personal Joe, if you could get Valerie or Hayden to give me a call, I'd appreciate it very much. <laughs> uh, secondly, thank you. Um, from the peer support side, I, I just. I just got done speaking to a uh, Canadian police officer who's here in our facility right now. And one of the things that, as you just point out, he hasn't been able to do is have somebody to talk to. In other words, I brought up the idea of what we had was the kitchen table war stories. You know, we, we, you know, review a call we'd have our own diffusing, let's say, you know, when we get back from the call, we'd have our own diffusing and we'd talk about it and sometimes gals humor is a big part of that. It's a way that we make the impact of the situation less. But having people to uh, discuss these things with and to have a, people have a general understanding has made a huge difference. Now I've gone to speak to patients that are going through our medically uh, medical detox and I know that they're first responders and to go down and sit with them and for me to be able to relate to them on a one-to-one -one basis and understand what it's like to have PTSD, to have nightmares, to have flashbacks, to know what it's like to be in recovery, to know what it's like to relapse because of the nightmares and the flashbacks. All of a sudden, these people are saying to me, my God, I thought never in my lifetime would I have an opportunity to talk to somebody who knew what I was talking about. And from that moment on, they're now able to start working on not only their recovery from substance use, but also the recovery from the trauma of the things they've experienced on the job. And that's made a huge, huge difference. It's really helped out. So I get this, go ahead. Well, I, what I was just gonna say, to, to double off where Brian's coming from, the, the um, which is, which is we work well, like with the onsite, we work with all of them. It just so happens that RCA is doing some great work and they're right down the street, believe it or not, they have a facility right down the road from onsite and they get their campus up in Danvers. But more importantly is the connection when the member comes out of a medical detox for a substance abuse is to have the vetted clinician that's close by where they can talk to. They, they just can't stop the program once they go through a, a medical detox. They got to continue it with the vetted. We use the word vetted. And Mike will tell you the story. When I contacted the, with him, I must have asked him a thousand questions because we're very protective of where we send our people very protective so we have a list in massachusetts of all the clinicians that we work with mclean's come online after the bombing um after it was the richards foundation that helped with them but 
having all the different tools, but more importantly, the member needs to connect, you know, they do a great job at RSA. They come up to onsite. We, we send them to a medical detox. They'll come up and the way it really works well for us is they come up from a medical detox. They get there 30 days. Then they come up for two weeks at onsite and do the, the continue work on the critical incidents. And that along with the good clinician, we've seen some great success rates. Um, you just can't do it alone. Is what I'm trying to get at. Jeff, well, what else? Do you have anything else to add to that or throw in? Absolutely. Um, I'm Lieutenant with Springfield Fire. I've been on about 21 years. Um, I'm a member of the peer support team with Springfield Fire. I'm a liaison with the professional firefighters in Massachusetts peer support team. Um, and I've been treated for alcoholism and PTSD at McLean. So after I got out of there, I wanted to join the team so that I could be an example of someone who actually got help so that we can say, you know, so that there's at least one example of someone who's out in public who got help, uh, because oftentimes the person needing help feels like they're the only ones who, is, who have ever experienced it. Um, in Springfield, we have about half a dozen guys, and the way it started, we had a lot of suicides. So our commissioner at the time, Joe Conant, um, wanted to be proactive. He sent out a department-wide survey and it asked, who would you be willing to share your problems with, you know, to find those trustworthy guys? And then he asked those guys if they would be willing to go to training to become a peer support counselor. Very cool. Uh, and that, that worked very effectively. And what we try to do is have members of different backgrounds, different personalities, because, you know, one person's not everybody's flavor. We have a guy who's <laughs> like a preacher type. You're probably not going to talk to him about your drug problem. You know, we have many different faces and that's good. We try to look at it and we want to get more people trained up as soon as the COVID restrictions um, are, are lighting up. Um, you know, we try to look at it as uh, pre-positioned life preservers. So you may never use it, but you know where one is if you have to reach for it. Um, we've had a lot of success with um, friends of friends reaching out. Hey, this guy's having some problems. Could you reach out to him? And that's been effective. Um, I've got a couple things written down here just because I'm kind of... You're rolling. Go. <laughs> We're trained by uh, the IAFF and PFFM. They have a peer support training program, um, yep. which is usually free of cost. Um, you just have to provide the, the facility and they'll come out and train you. Um, and that's that's a great course. That's two days. And then we do that with uh, suicide intervention and um, critical incident stress debriefing training. Um, we talk to the recruit classes so that they have a foothold. We try to talk on the days that their families are there and let them know the things to look out for and let them know that it's a brotherhood and we take care of each other no matter what. Um, we let them know that it's confidential. Um, the chain of command on Springfield Fire has been outstanding. Our current commissioner, uh, BJ Calvi, used to be a member of the critical incident stress team. Our number two in command is in recovery himself. They've been amazingly supportive. The commissioners even come down to the apparatus floor and pulled me out of my office and had a talk between the fire trucks asking me to reach out to somebody because he didn't want to discipline him. He knew the guy needed help. Um, let's see. Proactive. You pretty pull it. 
you know, we've gotten members help with um, combat PTSD, job-related PTSD, substance abuse, uh, depression, suicide ideation, domestic situations. Like Joe, I'm sorry. Yeah, like Joe was saying, um, you also have to have uh, people who are vetted. You know, I've been able to get guys with uh, PTSD help. Hey, um, this is the lady who helped me. I was turned on to her by a guy who had PTSD and she would work good for this or this guy works good for that. Um, That's one of the big fears that you hear a lot of. And they're, sometimes they're justified and sometimes they're not. There's some, and I got, I got a face in my head. There's some folks that volunteer to do good. They they're good people. They want to do good, and they volunteer to do everything that's good. And then they're but that's the the ball peen hammer. You know, you you just no, you just can't. Because again, if you're not if you don't have the training in the background, you could really trip a wire and and send things spiraling. One of the fun things I used to get to do before I retired is if I was up to fire academy teaching or if I was taking a class and there was a recruit class in, uh, the guy that ran the recruit class would invite me to just spend five, 10 minutes with him. And, you know, I did all the regular stuff. It, you know, if you're, you know, if you're on time, you're late, you, you know, 15 minutes early, make sure you make the coffee, all that stuff. But one of the things we had, a, I got serious on him is, listen, you're going to see bad things. This is a bad things job. Uh, sometimes you see some great things. Sometimes they have to be bad before they can be great. Uh, but you need to talk, you need to find the senior man. You need to find that guy in the firehouse. I want to really congratulate your bosses for for asking who do you trust. How many times do we see? Well, Bob and Jim are going to do that, and everybody's going. I'm not talking to Bob and Jim. There's no way I'm not talking to them. No, I want to you know blah 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 blah. I got to I did um uh. I'm on the uh, chief to chief team for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. That's what I did a lot of is, is after a fatality is I would reach out to the fire chief and we'd do everything from funeral presentations to the other end. But a lot of those folks would end up calling me back months and months later saying this, I'm just having a hard time, but, but okay, we've got a connection. We've got a whole system out of the fallen firefighters and we'll get you, get you going. Because that was a lot before we had the, the last teams in each state and we had all the all these these uh peer support teams um around the country um uh, but again now so um the general question to the group it so it, it definitely appears and this is a dumb question but just play along it definitely appears there's a there's a pretty strong link between the substance abuse and the and some kind of some kind of mental or, or not mental some kind of, of of stress that's going on tied in together Right, whether it's the PTSD or some other kind of behavioral, it's the word I should be using rather than mental. Well, the the trauma, the trauma, trauma and addictions is is probably one of the biggest things. I mean, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic in recovery, and I'll touch on the badge meetings in a minute and uh, how they play into this. Um, a lot of folks that I deal with um, come into you know we, we I, I come into because they been to a trauma or, or the compounded trauma and it's exploded and they hit the substance um probably more than half are not uh, an alcohol uh, true alcoholics they having a problem with a substance um due to the trauma and they need to address it and then they get the education the other group 
that's your stage four, stage three alcoholic. The badge meetings and what we've got established, um, they started out with the Boston Police Stress Unit in 74. Um, the way we run it now, they're all over the country. I've got a list. If somebody can reach out to me, I get a list of all the New England meetings. Um, they're peer-driven. Every one of our meetings now have a peer in them or a vetted clinician that will sit in them so that you don't have to be um, have a substance abuse problem. You can use it as a, a diffusing as you will come in, and the peer would take you aside and then get you other help. That was a, a that it's, it's been probably the last six years that we really pushed that model. Uh, I'll leave here and go to a badge meeting out in California at 10 o'clock. Um, they're all over the country now. Uh, Tuna Food, Canada. Is that based on the, like the Alcoholics Anonymous? Yes, it's, it's, a, it's an AA meeting. It's sort of a hybrid AA meeting that uh, what up at, uh, when once I st- actually came out of the Boston Police Department and then it was just added to. Um, if you folks have been to McLean's Hospital for treatment, they run a meeting at Saturday night. And um, that's one of the only ones where we don't let them really, because they're more in for a treatment center where they can't really talk about the, the, the trauma. But the other meetings, we allow them to come in and, and uh, we can pull them aside. So you could have a bad day on the road. And we've got them all over Massachusetts. I've sent Mike a list of them. I think, Brian, you had a list up there in Danvers. Uh, I think we sent them to you. So. Go ahead. Anybody else want to? Am I is my conjecture correct, or it sounds like I'm kind of tying it in? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I, I, I just was gonna. I wanted to add. I wanted to add something really quickly too before we get to, to the peer support. Um, because you're mentioning Connecticut, and and um, I think it's important that that we recognize um, programs that have incorporated the peer support model and have done extremely well with it. Um, I, I've been blessed to work with the Department of Corrections. Um, and the Department of Corrections, actually, they, they recruited a, a fantastic woman. Her name is Diane Moynihan. She is from Massachusetts, actually. So it actually originated in Massachusetts. So that's really, really where the credit should go. Um, but they, they were not seeing success with their EAP. Um, and, and mostly because, you know, you're calling a stranger on, you know, someplace in another state and, and they may or may not be a, a first responder. They may not, you know, really be able to identify with what you're going through and people just weren't utilized. And as a result, they, you know, they were seeing extremely high, you know, rates of substance use issues, mental health issues, suicide, domestic violence, all the things that we talked about. Um, they looked for a better way. And, and, you know, the better way was this program that was, you know, really kind of, um, and, I, and I'm not going to do it the justice to explain, you know, its origins and its roots, um, but it started in Mass and Diane brought it to Connecticut. And as a result, they've had tremendous success. They've helped, you know, we personally have, have, have helped many, many of their brothers and sisters when they're in crisis. And, and, it, and, it's, and, and, and the reason why, at least from my perspective, that it's so effective is when these, these professionals are struggling, they're reaching out to, you know, somebody in confidence that understands it, they get it. Like Brian was saying, you know, when he goes down and talks to somebody in our detox and it's like, wow, this is the first time that I can talk to somebody that I feel like understands it. You know, and it, the, the families, you know, as much in being a, a family member of a first responder, as much as we want to understand it, I mean, we just call it for what it is. The truth is, is, is the general population does not understand the first responder world. They don't. And they're not going to. And, and frankly, you can't expect them to. So that's why they need the leadership that's on this call, on this meeting, as well as, you know, you know the work that's being done 
so that those 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 avenues, those networks are in place. Um, because otherwise, they sit and they suffer in silence. And I think this is kind of where it comes to the substance use piece, the the, the, the utilizing of of substances to 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 deal with the underlying trauma that they're internalizing. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. It starts because it works. That's that's why it begins because it works, it numbs it, it takes it away. You think it works at least. The brain tells you it's working, I feel better. I'm not thinking about the fatality, I'm not thinking about the, the critical incident, I'm not thinking about any of that stuff anymore because the substance has taken it away. Now, the problem is, is once the substance takes control, the substance takes everything away. So, you know, and at that point, you got a whole heck of a lot of work to do. Um, so, I mean, that, that's not saying that's the case for everybody. Certainly, we know, we know now addiction is genetic as well. So it can be passed along. Um, there's certainly factors like that that are involved. Um, but I think substances in particular, you know, I'll just, my, my, my father was, I mentioned, was a, was, a, was a retired police officer. He did deep undercover for as long as they allowed him to do it in the department. Um, he didn't have a substance use issue. However, he had a full bypass at the age of 45. And his thing was when the doctors, you know, they were like, this is a, this is a strong guy, he played division one basketball, you know, no real reasons other than the internalizing of the job, not having proper coping mechanisms. And it, it, it ate him literally ate him alive from the inside out. Nobody else, he's got seven siblings. Nobody else has ever had a heart attack. So it clearly had some, there was a direct correlation to the work that he was doing and not having the proper support in place. Um, could appear support system have helped him? Possibly. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to the individual, um, make those choices for themselves. Um, but I, I do, we've seen, uh, there is tremendous success stories within that peer model. Um, I just wanted to sort of throw that out there real quick. I, you know what, I, I, I want to uh, chime in there. So we had a, a, a lieutenant in the police department took his own life. Uh, caught a lot of people, uh, didn't catch his family 100% off guard, but it caught everybody else off guard. One of the first things that the, the police chief did was he said, no, we're not using, we're not using the EAP that deals with budgetary, you know, budget issues and, and dealing with your teenager and all that. We're, we're going straight to uh, um, a, a, a service that deals with emergency responders. And then they did such a good job, and I interacted with uh, the boss of that so good that we we actually changed. We already had two EAPs. We had one for all your domestic stuff, and then we had one for emergencies. And I was unhappy with the emergency one, so we switched over, and it was the best one of the best decisions I ever made. But a lot of so and a, and, a, and, a, and a, I think a lot of fire departments are stuck in that you know because it's extra money. The, the the city has a budget for EAP. And then you want another hundred dollars a guy or fifty, whatever it is, a guy or gal to take care of those because of this this particular, you know, um, dynamic, and you can't you can't get that, you know. And so you, so lots of they turn to the local. They'll turn to, the, I mean, it's exciting. The uh, again the peer stuff that the IFF has done. I sent two guys to that, and they worked. They were they did some amazing work inside our place. Uh, you know, so again, that's what they turned um, to to help out. That uh, Jeff, you're getting ready. To, I think I saw your hand go up. You're getting ready to say something. Oh, you're you're just you just muted yourself. You got to go. Sorry, I was going to say that uh, definitely uh, first responders will not open up to people that they do not relate to. Um, 
it's been my experience, the guys with the combat experience, I try to get them to talk to another person who's chewed the same dirt, you know, in a foreign country. I'm a former Marine, but I've never been to war. So I can't relate to what it's like um, getting shot at. I'm not a corrections officer. I don't know what it's like when when those bars shut. But when they link up, when when our people link up with other people who are like-minded, they'll open up because they trust that. And when we have those people that are trained up that they can relate to, that's when it really works well in, in my experience. But well, can, can I just jump in on that too? Because we run, a, Go ahead. We, we run a program and uh, Jeff, you're probably familiar. The PPFM now in Massachusetts, Mike, Mike Jefferson, up at the onsite, it costs zero for a firefighter mass to go up there. And we've just opened a long-term uh, 30 to 90 day uh, house that we have. Um, but getting to the veterans, what Jeff's getting at, there's a program called Restore that was put together about eight years ago, free of charge. Uh, we take our first responders that are veterans that have been public safety people. We bring them up there and we let them talk to other combat vets. Uh, it's run by uh, Doc Sinelli over in Saugus, uh, does a lot with the PPFM combat vet uh, and Mike Brown and uh, the guys from Boston. So what, what Jeff's is saying, hundred percent, that's a whole subgroup within our culture yeah. is these. And I just want to real quick. And, and is the, the data that I got from as of today, we had 53 officers commit suicide as of today uh, affected. Uh, and out of the 53, this is the number you're going to pay attention to 35 were, were, were veterans, 51 male, two females, 98% of them were alcohol and had a fire. We used the firearm. That's from Blue Help. And those are the ones that we know at. We're looking at now the car accidents because they get the benefits. We're going back and look at some of those car accidents. They're starting to track the fire data, and that should be out next month. So that, that's real. And exactly what Jeff's, I'm glad you had mentioned that stuff. Those are one, real numbers. One of the things we talked about for the last few months is there's more firefighters die from their own hand than they die in the line of duty. Uh, for the last couple of years now with the this year it'll be all upside down because of the COVID because a lot of the they're attempting to get the COVID covered under the line of duty death benefits um, but the uh, it's just an amazing thing but uh, Brian right so yes. uh, back to that 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 tie-in so what is the percentage, I think somebody actually, what's the percentage of, of where uh, drugs and alcohol or some kind of substance is tied in with the mental health? And I, I like the description about numbing the pain. I thought that was a scientific well, basic. <laughs> well, when I do an assessment for any patient that comes in, uh, I'll ask them what it is that their substance use is doing for them. What makes it hard for them to give it up? And they'll say, it numbs the pain. It hides the it hides the um, the sadness and the sorrow of what I saw. It takes away those images. But I was just reading something on the statistics. I do. I use a program called Seeking Safety. And it has to do with uh, PTSD and substance use. And in that, it was just recently talking about 29% of firefighters who uh, have PTSD also has a substance use disorder. And of those P Firefighters who have PTSD, 19% of them have considered taking their own lives. So when you talk about the correlation between substance use and the mental health, uh, it's, it's high. 
it, it's really high because people are first responders, first of all, are the ones we always call when life's in chaos. And now all of a sudden their lives are, and they got to figure out a way. How do I ask for help? And mentally, just the way we were trained, just the way we carry ourselves, we say, no, we can fix this. I can fix this myself. I don't need somebody else to. And that right there puts your mindset into a frame of saying, no, I, I, I'm going to figure out a way to do this. And a lot of times, not it comes down to using a substance because I, I, I know myself personally. When I saw a little boy that died in my arms 20 years earlier, start showing up in the chair next to me. I went to the doctor, he couldn't help me. I went to a therapist, they couldn't help me, but you know what could help me? It was that little voice that had been silent for 20 years saying, guess what's gonna work? Well, it did. I didn't see that little boy anymore, but I didn't see anything else either. Right. And until I went and got help for my substance use and the mental health, I didn't have a chance of getting back into recovery again. And fortunately, there are people out there who see that correlation, that you have the two going side by side, and then add that extra dimension of being a first responder and having the things that you witness and experience, um, it, it adds a whole other dimension that makes putting all these things together in a way that was gonna be useful and purposeful for the first responder, more of a challenging task. Because first, you've gotta to admit to the fact you have a substance use disorder. Secondly, you've got to admit to the fact that you might have PTSD, you might have a, a mental health issue that's going on. And then after that, you've got to deal with the, um, the image of a first responder, whether you be a firefighter, police officer, corrections, military, because we have them all come through here at RCA. You've got that image of yourself that's saying, I'm stronger than everybody else. I can do this. I'm tough. And you've got to get over that and you've got to take that ego and that pride and put it aside and start to accept the help that's going to get you somewhere positive in your life and maybe get some of the things back that you've lost. Let me ask the group as a whole. So uh, when you get hurt, you get hurt bad. I don't care if it's uh, if it's a police officer with a shooting or a car accident, whatever, fight, falls down the stairs, whatever. So part of this, and, and a lot of times when you get injured, uh, it's it's one of these traumatic times, right? So we're, we're making this rescue or we're dodging bullets or whatever. So it's a time we're not gonna forget. It's it burned into ourselves, but then I get hurt. So, cause it goes to this, the, the, the ability, and I, we're getting our hands wrapped around this now in this country, both the ability to get opioids and for pain and pain medication, pain and management. Cause again, I mean, they're finally changing the ideas of we don't want you to have any pain to a little pain's okay. Uh, we're going to take the edge off, but we're not going to make you sleep all day, right? Because of all those addiction issues. So a lot of these guys and, and gals must be also fighting. So they might be started with some physical damage that keeps bringing back up that the physical side of it, uh, the mental side. Does that make sense? Behavioral side? No. <laughs> Is there a link there at all? Anybody? Well, I think so. Um, you know, I've had I've had people come through here who are on the verge of being placed on a disability retirement, and they're looking at their entire career that they had oh, foreseen doing for a long period of time as now all of a sudden ending. Watching two different Zoom things, but they overlapped here too. So. Um, 
Uh, so whoever just, uh, Diva Z, I need you to mute your microphone, please. Sorry, yeah, so, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, so as I was saying, um, I've had people who are looking at the ends of their career far sooner than they expected. I'd still be actively in the fire service right now, even though I had 35 years when I retired, I'd maxed out on my pension, but I was one month away from being placed on a disability retirement from an on-the-job injury. And I didn't know what I would do. You just see yourself as being that person, that role. So absolutely, if an injury comes around and you're looking at the prospects of what do I do? This is all I know. This is who I am. You identify with your role as a first responder, whatever that might be. And all of a sudden that identity is taken away from you. You just had the legs cut off from underneath you. No, absolutely. And that, and Brian, that was Zach. That was my story. He just mentioned that I was a cop since I was 18 in the military. Um, and when I went up to onsite, I was already a year sober. I was working with onsite over the years, but my identity was the biggest, hardest issue to get through the loss. And I had to reinvent myself. I, you know, I wrote a book, a hot dog cart, uh, got involved with peer support. And I do a lot of work with retirees and like we hit the nail out of the, you hit it right on the head. It, we're seeing so many people in the police service now retire out early. Uh, and it's dangerous because if they don't have a plan, um, they've, it, it, we're trying to address this with the fraternal order police throughout the country. Um, if they don't have a plan or a purpose and they isolate, well, cops are already in bad shape. If you listen to Doc Gil Martin, who's our guru, the Bible, emotional survivor for law enforcement, we cook on our own juice. We don't have the, the benefits of the team like the fire service has. So I had a, a real hard time um, with the identity piece and I had to get help for it. And I'm, and I'm glad I did because I was, 45 when I will be, when, yeah, it'll be eight years uh, coming up on uh, Saturday. And let me tell you something, dealing with the addiction, the injury. And like Brian said, what am I going to do next? Yeah. You know, us cops don't bang nails and have the extra jobs like, you know, the fire service has. And, 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 you know, Brian, you, you know, you guys are in the field and Jeff, that's the biggest problem. Now what we're seeing is you guys are medics and they're shifts are shorthanded. They're being forced to work longer hours and they're working on the ambulance which is like our details so i went from running and gutting to watching my 12 year old you know to, to my son and it's a culture shock and i'm glad brian you addressed that it's very important jeff you look like you popped up a couple times there <laughs> did you have something to add to that sure i can add a couple of things um, um these guys more than cover pretty much everything I was going to say, but definitely uh, we see an issue with retirees. We have a high rate of suicide with retirees, high rate of alcoholism because you go from working 80 hours a week, two jobs, you drink at a certain pace, and then you have all the time in the world to drink. Um, uh, you know, like one of the guys who was teaching a class I took, he said, you know, what are you going to do when you retire? You're going to fish, you're going to do this. He said, There's only so much fishing you can do. You have to find <laughs> Something to stay busy, or are you going to go back to the things that get you in trouble? That's a good. Oop, sorry. And, and that's the direction that, uh, you know, the national FOP, we're 350,000. We're just starting to get organized like the IAF is. Uh, you guys were so far ahead of the cops. Um, but one of the things that we're pushing is the resiliency training um, and the post traumatic growth. Uh, we're, we're looking at a facility in a group out of Virginia uh, called the uh, Boulder Crest. Um, we're rolling that program out. Um, 
where it focuses more on the, the aftercare and the post-traumatic growth that's struggling, um, it's got to be done. We got to stop doing what we've been doing. It's not working. One of the, one of the things that uh, one of our speakers talked about was uh, he still goes, uh, he still has the number of times he talks, uh, talked to his guy or gal uh, dramatically went down. He still gets two, two times a week or two times a month or once a month, he'll, he still reaches out, but he, he just uh, tries to help other folks. And that seems to be helping him to kind of, to work through it. Um, but he also, uh, because he had had a history with alcohol and I think cocaine, uh, he really was really nervous about that. He was really hypersensitive about not falling down. Um, so he, he turned to God. Um, and he, he always had a, uh, he always had a strong faith, but when he was going to what I would call the rapids with lots of rocks, um, you know, he gives a lot of, of, a lot of credit to his faith in God and just, just keep, you know, going with the flow and keep your head up and just do the best you can. Um, and then again, talking, lots of talking, lots of checking in, um, and, and having that, I think, I think most everybody, and this is one of the, the key things I wanted to bring up, most everybody has that other person. Could be a guy, could be a gal, could be a partner, could be someone you work with, could be a relative. Most everybody's got that that person they connect with, and they're they're almost like brothers, and someone may be brothers. And there and there needs to be a, a thing where you know you're watching each other. And, and you have to have the ability to be honest and be open to the other person being honest and saying, pal or gal, you, you, you got a problem and we need to, we need to go talk about it. Um, because you, you can't, you can't keep this up. You, you need to, you need to get some help. I'll take you, I'll drive you. Um, I, I I'm aware of suicides that were, were prevented because literally seconds before the person was going to pull the trigger he called that person and that person talked him down and and talked him through that that moment uh there needs to be someone in your life that you can dump on and they can dump on you and that you are blatantly honest i went listen when i was young i did a lot of choir boys after bad that's what we did if we had a bad wreck or if we had a bad call or we lost somebody in the firehouse, uh, you know, uh, tell the wives we're, the, the, we're going out. And then we would go out and whenever we got done, we got done and luckily none of us crashed cars or, or had anything else. There you go. <laughs> none of those, you know, none of those uh, other bad things. Um, but again, that's not, that's not helping the overall, the overall problem. We call, we, call it, we call it the tribe of five. I don't know if the guy's up at RCA. It's when we've been pushing. Uh, everybody usually has five good people, and we're, we're really pushing that. We, you know, you get your sponsor in addiction. I know RCA, you guys are doing the recovery coach stuff up there, right? You guys are – it's one big thing you guys are really great at. I heard the, 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 whole, recovery, the, the whole new recovery coach uh, mentality that's going on. I, we've got a girl in Maine, Autumn Clifford. She's got a great podcast. She's a law enforcement life coach. And th these are like the one step up from the, you know, and, and the stuff's working, but the tribe of five and, I, and it's, you got these five people 
that in your life, everybody has them, either three to five, like you were just saying, Chief, that we can, and we really, we're trying to work those five to have them in your life. That's a good point. Mike, what's the program he was just talking about? The, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, what was, what, what was the question? The coach. Uh, recovery, recovery coaching. So it's yeah. a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a peer support type program. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it, it generally is somebody who is currently in recovery. Um, it's not the same as a sponsor. Um, it's, it's really somebody that you can sit down with and, and it's kind of like a wellness coach is, is a way to think about it. They're going to ask you, you know, questions related to where you are there, you know, there's no judgment involved. And then they really try to help to formulate a plan and they'll work with you. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little tricky because a lot of times the, 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 the patient will want to become your friend and, and that's not really the goal. Um, the goal is not for you to become, you know, buddies with, with this individual. It's, it's really to be there, be a support and, um, and to offer guidance, but stay in your lane. Um, so, but it, it is, it is extremely effective, um, when, when it's utilized, you know, properly and a lot of, a lot of police departments are actually utilizing recovery coaching as well, um, within the department, um, where, where they, they actually, you know, I, I think it's, uh, uh, gosh, I, I forget the town. It's right there in Danvers. Um, we have a, a gentleman that does actually a recovery coach training for a company called C-Car. Um, they're a fantastic organization. They offer great training for recovery coaches. Um, and he works out of uh, the Peabody, I think, police, police department. And he actually, he goes out with officers on calls um, and, you know, try, especially if they know there's a substance use, um, potential substance use issue there. They could have been to that house three or four times and you know, they see liquor bottles all over the place. And, you know, they bring that individual along to sort of pull that person aside and say, hey, you know, is there something here that we can maybe help you with so this doesn't have to keep happening? Um, <clears throat> You know, I did want to add one thing to, to what you were saying, because I think this is from my own personal experience and what I do, and, 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 and I'm really boots on the ground. I meet people where they're at. So I, I, I mean, I'm happy to do that. And, and what I have seen firsthand working, especially within the, the first responders world, um, when, I'm, when, that, when I'm working with these, these, these men and women, they're really broken down. And, and a lot of times it's to a point where you know, they've lost, they've lost in their minds, probably everything. You know, there's a divorce, there's more, you know, sometimes multiple divorces that have happened. They're, they're, they're in, they're in disciplinary action within the department that they're working in. Um, their health is not good. You know, they're, they're really at a point where it's a pretty low, low. Um, so I, I think this really is, is, a, is an important, an important piece of this. It's that early intervention. You know, and I don't know how that looks. I don't know, you know, I think, you know, I like what Joe said about you got to have a standard and you got to have something that you follow. But it feels to me, you know, from my armchair quarterback position here, that, you know, there needs to be an initiative that is leadership driven from the chief to, you know, all the way down where you're identifying things before that person is having, you know, they're, they're, they're losing their house, they're, they're, they're too deep into the woods. Um, and I imagine that starts with training, um, you know, and I know that that's in place, all, you know, a lot with the peer support, but it, my, my experience is a lot of these men and women, by the time they're getting to our level of care are in an inpatient level of care, they're pretty beat up. And I, I just have to feel like there's a way for us to have been involved sooner before they got to that point. 
Um, I think there's 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 certainly something to that, um, and it could be that the brotherhood of five. Maybe it's a you know I get it. People change jobs, they move, and you know that you may not always be able to keep the two two you know two two guys together, but you know there needs to be a check-in system of some sort. And then when you identify that there's something that's off there, you know then you have the systems and and, and the supports in place, the, the peer supports, the 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 EAPs, what the recovery coaching that you can then start to say, okay, we gotta we gotta all kind of sort of form a, a protective circle around this individual and, and get them the help they need. I think that's why I'm really excited about Jeff's, you know, the leadership that Jeff was talking about before. Uh, I, I get, the, the, uh, Jeff, don't let me, I'll get back to you in one second. From a boss's perspective, I was like a mother hen in that whether it was wives having children or adoptions or parents dying or aunt, whatever, uh, that was one of the things that one of my mentors taught me was it's all about the people. Um, from a harder, more terse way to look at it, that's an in, there's an investment there and that you want to protect your investment. Now, that's not how I looked at it, but there are, but there are some folks maybe that'll get that, them to think that way and that you have someone you've invested all this time, all this energy in, and you want to protect your investment, right? I looked at it because my one of my bosses said, take care of them. They'll take care of you and they'll take care of the public. And so uh, I was often, I think, considered nosy because, or, and I, again, a lot of times I wouldn't directly go to the person unless I was very comfortable with them. But a lot of times I go to their bosses and say, what's going on? There seems to be, you know, we're late uh, for the for the last month, five times. What's going on? Uh, the bus changed. Okay. You know, there's, if we can figure that out, that's fine. And other times it's like, I don't know. I said, well, let's see if we can, you know, who's he close to? Let's see if we can figure this out. And again, try to, I'll, I'll, I'll pass off to Jeff with the thought of, can you imagine how great it would be is if we made sure all the mentors, all the mentors out there had training on how to keep guys out of the jam and what to do if they get in a jam and how to take care of them the right way instead of taking them out for beers or, or whatever it may be. How much of a home run would that be? Jeff, you're up. Thank you, Nick. Um, and to piggyback on, on what Mike was saying, we definitely need to be better at uh, preventive, like preventive maintenance for mental health. Um, I tell my guys, you know, you know, when I talk to somebody, listen, hey, it seems like you're going through a lot. Um, have you ever talked about a thought about talking to somebody? It's kind of like a mental oil change, you know, to help you from breaking down. Um, or maybe not help you from breaking down, but hey, this is what I went through, or so and so went through something like this, and this is what he did, and it worked. You know, I got therapy, I was going through a bad spot in my marriage, and it helped me to um, make good decisions. To give you an example, I have a, a member of my crew who um, had to leave his home in the middle of the night because his uh, domestic partner is bipolar unmedicated. So he had to leave before she made up something and called the police on him. He slept in his car. So he came in. He's like, hey, I said, hey, Mel, how's it going? He's like, oh, not too good, Lieutenant. I slept in my car last night. Like, OK, all right, come on to my office. Let's talk about what's going on. I told him what I had been through in my life, what worked for me. Um, and I told him that it was time to bring the chain of command up on, you know, up to speed, because this is probably going to make the radar at some point if the police are going to come. Um, I'll try to make this as short as possible. So 
my commissioner came into the meeting too with the deputy chief and he said hey listen you know we're here for whatever you need you're in a very precarious situation you're still on your probationary year so if anything sticks you're going to get fired so it's very important to make the correct decisions now so we let him stay in his fire station a couple nights we uh, got him set up with an apartment through some friends we knew helped him get furniture he took my advice he got a counselor and he's doing very good now so I was fortunate to have the experiences I had and have a good relationship with my crew and be in contact with people who had the resources to help him. So in this situation, it worked out pretty good. And I just credit that, like I said, with my experience and being proactive. Very, very cool. The, so let's get, so we're, We've we've tried a couple things and we're just not we're still we're still fighting our battles or whatever our internal battles are. So the so our first step right would be to try to find some kind of a group dynamic, right, or some kind of a peer go over peer counseling or maybe some kind of a group meeting. Is that that kind of where where would you if I came to you and said, listen, I'm I'm just I'm just battling, I'm battling, I'm battling, I'm I just I can't sleep. I'm I'm gaining weight or I'm losing weight and I'm, you know, I'm yelling at my kids and whatever. And I, it's obvious that I, nothing that nothing's working. What's Mike, if I called you up or, or anybody, what, what's, what's your recommendation for me? But, you know, I think specific to where I would come into play is generally, you know, I'm going to meet that individual when there's, when there's a crisis. So, you know, so, so if somebody's calling me in crisis, you know, I, I, for me personally, and I actually have gone through the, the recovery coach training, um, you know, and it's about meeting that individual where they're at. I mean, one of the things that, 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 that you know, one of the things with this disease, as we know, is, is that it's a disease that wants you to suffer in silence. So the worst thing that you can possibly do is when you do get that call is to start forming judgments and passing judgments and, and to start telling that person, this is what you need to do, um, because that, they'll shut down. They're not going to take that, you know, you have to be able to listen to where they're at, where they're coming from, kind of read between the lines and connect the dots, um, you know, and, and, and I think that if it's a substance use or, or, you know, type of scenario, you know, it's, that's, that's tricky because I think that, you know, depending upon, you know, how, and I like this saying, how deep they are into the woods, you know, they may not be able to do that on their own, you know, in and out patient type setting, they might need to look for, a program, you know, as Joe was saying, a vetted program, especially a program that understands the first responders population, that they can remove themselves from that situation, from that environment, and sorry about that, and um, and and get and get the help that they need, um, you know, and 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 it may not be that, but you know, certainly, I think first and foremost, it's about talking to that individual and figuring out exactly where they're at and what do they need. And, and, you know, and then offering them the right types of resources, people want to, you know, a lot of times people just, they just want to be able to be heard. Um, and just being that individual to listen and really listen and not pass or, you know, pass judgments, it, it, that alone is, is, a, is a fantastic first step. Um, you know, I think that some of the other day-to-day -day stresses of, of the job that these gentlemen are, that, that you guys are, are experiencing, I'm not going to be the right person to answer that because I don't really know that, but I do know the calls that I take and, you know, and how I handle them. And, you know, and, and I will leave it at this um, as I've 
you know, made my way and, 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 you know, through this and I've spoke with a lot, you know, and Joe talked about this briefly when I reached out to Joe, you know, I've really been hammered because I, I can't say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a former firefighter or I'm a former police officer. Or I'm a corrections officer. Um, you know, so I've had to earn some respect, I guess, if you will, that, that I'm a genuine person that I do have a, a genuine understanding, although I, I, I haven't experienced a lot of these traumatic events firsthand I'm from a family that is a, a first responders family. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's creating that trust that, that, that has to absolutely be there um, and, and finding programs that can really truly help. I mean, right now in this world, in the substance use world, mental health world, this is a big buzz. So there's a lot of places that are trying to pop these first responders programs up and say, hey, we, can, we got the answer. And, and I'm not down in any of them because they might. And if they do, fantastic, because I think we can always use good providers. But I think there's a lot of people that just want to, they see this as an opportunity. I don't know that they necessarily have done the homework. They haven't gone out. They haven't necessarily found a fantastic guy like Brian Smith um, or Joe or, or a Jeff to work with them and, and to be that peer. So, you know, as you're speaking with these, these, these men and women, these guys and gals, you know, it's about being able to make a quality recommendation to them. This is this is based off of what you shared with me. This is what I've learned because I put the time in and these folks are doing really great work for, you know, what it sounds like you need. Um, and, you know, that's the key because, you know, the, these guys and gals, they come forward, they ask for help and they don't get it. And it's or it's not what they needed. It's misguided. It's misdirected. They may never ask for that help again. And unfortunately, that could be life and death. So. That's one of my things that we talked about, I think before the broadcast a little bit, you get the right person, you get a trained, vetted, knowledgeable person, it's the best thing and could be the best thing in the world. You get a, somebody who's winging it and really doesn't have a good handle, it's the worst thing in the world. Joe, so if somebody called you up, what's your what's your number one? Yeah, I mean, when I go to a guy like Mike and we, we've worked in, in we. And again, I can't thank them enough for one of the cases that he said sent up to you and uh, you've done wonders with. And I appreciate the work, Brian. You know who I'm talking about. You did great work with them. Um, but uh, a lot of the people that I get, not more than half of them don't necessarily go to a, a treatment facility or don't have a substance abuse issue or even come to the level to go to a five-day program at onsite. They might need an outpatient program with a good clinician. It might be a marital issue um, that was we've got vetted clinicians in the North in, in Metro Boston. And that, that's all they do is first respond is marital issues, especially on the cop side. So a lot of it can be handled just having that cup of coffee. All I'm doing is referring. I'm a conduit. I'm not a clinic. Oh, soon to be a clinician. Um, I'm working on that license now. But um, but even then, I'm still I'm doing it on the peer side. Um, all I'm doing is listening and referring. I'm not there to give a suggestion at that point. I'm trying, like I said, to find the right program, the right clinician, like you you talked about, Chief. Um, and, and, you know, you got some good people out there in the western part of the state, uh, Jeff. I know uh, uh, Dr. Gallo's up and running out in uh, Sherman Falls in that area there. And it, there's a lot of good clinicians that understand what we're doing, and it's important to get the right person uh, to the right the right tool. And uh, like Mike said, I, I was laughing because he, I have – I think we told we talked uh, every week. There seems to be another problem coming up, 
and I get this one program. They must have called me a thousand times from Florida, and I think you know I told you about it, Mike. And the guys all talking about how great the NFL did and this that. Well, we're not the NFL. We're not the NHL. And I don't know who you are, and I don't know anything about your program. So please stop calling me. And uh, and and these people are out there, and Brian knows. Um, they're looking for it, it, it was just in the news. They're looking for a warm body. They're looking for the insurance money. Those are the people that don't have their heart in the game. And you know, when an RCA comes along and they got a person like Brian and they got Mike, and Mike will, if you can't get him in your place, right? What do you do? You try to get him in somewhere else. We all work together. And they think that's huge. You know, that shows you that our heart's in the game. So, Brian, what's your uh, take on that? Well, I, I was thinking about how you were talking about, you know, I'm getting mad at the kids. I'm, I'm snapping at the wife. You know, I've got this stuff going on. And we don't see that as an issue. You know, we don't see that as something that we're going to go out and seek help for. Usually it comes to a point where either domestic abuse is taking, taking place or um, DCF has gotten involved for some reason. But if it's not that, then it's when the substance use comes in. That's when normally we start to say, okay, here we've got a problem. We need to go ahead and fix it and do something about it. Now, like Jeff was talking about where he had a guy come up to him. You know, you got a good LT or a good company officer who's, who's got experience and has been around. Yeah, it's going to make a difference for the guys on his company. But it's then now you, the guys like the PFFM and going out and making sure that all the locals are aware that there are programs available, not just for substance use, not just for... Um, first responders who uh, with mental health issues as far as the substance use or the PTSD might be concerned, but just, just the, the trials and tribulations of living life today, facing all the things that they have to face and then going home and living a normal life, you know, taking the kids to the soccer game, taking them, you know, to choir practice or it, that's a big transition, you know, and the closest you come to that is a guy who served overseas you know, and all he's got on his mind is two things, living or dying. And it's constant, 24-7. That's all he does. And then all of a sudden, you plant him back here in the States, and he's supposed to go, oh, okay, no problem. I just go back to being who I am. The same thing's happened with the first responders, no matter how they, how, what job they're in. They're doing this job, and then they happen to go back home. And it's up to us to provide them with a way to say, okay, maybe you are getting to be a little on edge all the time and you are taking out on the kids and the wife or you're just not coming home you're trying to find ways to avoid it let them know that there is some type of help out there that they can go and reach out and talk to and have the people there who understand it it's the biggest thing is having somebody who understands what you're talking about who's actually been in those shoes i i, I know a young man who's a company officer in iraq and uh and so he had multiple, he was, uh, I can't remember what rank he was, but he, he had several, several groups underneath him and he had to make life and he had to make sucky decisions every single day that could dramatically impact those people. Like, you know, Hey, we got to go here, but the, the meat grinder, I know, but this is where we're going. And then, so he, he had to get used to making those hard decisions. But when he got back home, he was still in that mode and his, wife would say uh, i decided we're gonna no we're not doing that we're not, uh, you know and it was like this his, his immediate having to react he reacted and that 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 put that house on a on a tailspin i think uh i think it was jeff mitchell had said 
you know, you, you get to the firehouse, you've been screamed at, the, the, the chief's screaming at you to do something, the guys are screaming at you because they don't want to do something. You finally get home, and sure enough, that something's broken that's not supposed to, and the first thing you see is the, is the family cat. See ya! <laughs> and the cat pays the price for all this pent-up rage that you're you're carrying around. And I and I, I think the other thing you said that was pretty interesting is you're not in a tank with a shark chewing on your leg. That would be the that would be the traumatic incident. Day-to-day life, you're in a tub full of guppies and they're just nibbling 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 and making you crazy and taking a little bit of piece of you, a little tiny piece of you away all the time. And if you don't have a if you don't have a good handle on that or a good way to get a handle on that, now we start we start acting out. Now we start uh, taking advantage of stuff or, or whatever, or making bad life choices. It might be, doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be uh, taking a little bit off the top on the money. It could be whatever. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to, we, we think about drugs and alcohol, but there's a lot of other evils that'll suck you in and ruin your career right and and make you unhirable if it and and if the reason you're doing that is because you can't you can't make something happen um you know before we get to that point where we're doing making bad choices there needs to be some way yeah you know i i wanted to mention one other thing that it's those small things that make all the difference in the world now we started this program in this unit at rca one of the biggest things we had to make sure that we let the support staff know about was how the little things make a difference. In other words, we've got combat vets who have come back. You don't go stand over their bed to do a bed check. You don't go touch them. You don't speak loudly. You have a particular person who is a police officer, a corrections officer. He wants to sit with his back against the wall so he can see what's coming. Those things, they seem little, but they are huge in the comfort level and the trust level yeah. that comes so they can get treatment. And you have to be able to have people that recognize that, understand it, and can translate it and disseminate it throughout the whole treatment process. Because it starts with that little tiny thing that's going to gain their trust and say, okay, you do understand where I'm coming from. And if you can do that, you can get a foothold on it. The thing, one of the things I've said a couple of times now over the last four months is, there's actually a scene from the West Wing where somebody was having trouble and uh, and uh, somebody reached out to him and took care of him. And he says, how did you know to, to do that? He says, well, he says, there's a story of the guy who was in a hole. And the first guy comes along and says, hey, you need somebody to get you out of the hole. You should, I'll, I'll go see if I can find somebody. And then the next guy comes down and throws him a shovel and says, you need to dig your way out. Then the third guy jumps into the hole with him. He's got a little flashlight. He says, come on with me. I've been here before. I'll show you how to get out. Right. And some, some, so understanding all that stuff you talked about, all that little things, uh, loud voices, slapping somebody on the back, uh, hugs. I'm a big hugger and boy, that'll, that'll send some people right, right out of their skin. Uh, particularly if they're, if they're, if they're activated at that point or, you know, uh, or struggling. You don't know the little things. You you could call somebody by, if their name is William, but they go by Billy, if you call them William, it's going to trigger back something that somebody used to call them and maybe maybe abuse them or a cut, and they'll go off the deep end. You're in trouble. It's like if somebody calls me Nicholas, I go, what did I do? Right. 
Because the only time I ever got called, my full name was in school, and we're not going to talk about that tonight. <laughs> Jeff, did you have something else there on that? Sure. Um, the way I would approach it, you know, if uh, you know, I'm talking to a guy who's who's on edge and things aren't going good at home, is first I'm going to ask him how he is and if his family's okay and the kids are okay, and have him tell me what's going on. And, you know, let him know he's not the only one who's been through something like this. Um, I'll present, you know, like I call it a buffet of, of services and choices. Hey, OK, if you're having rage issues, we can get you a counselor. There's intensive outpatient. There's inpatient. Um, and what really seems to work for me um, is when I, I take them out of the equation. Okay, what if your mother, your best friend was having this situation occur to them? What would your advice be to them? Well, I would tell them to go to counseling. Okay, how do you, does this apply to you? Would you be willing to take your own advice? Do you think that that would work? And sometimes that works when you just take them out of the equation. You know, myself personally, sometimes I don't know what to do on a fire ground. And I ask myself, what would a good lieutenant do? And it comes to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what, would be, yeah, what would the guy that broke me into yeah exactly. you know one thing you, one thing you said that i we I, mean, I think it's a known here but i'm just going to throw it out there is again the, the 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 person's safety is you know maybe getting jumping on that right out of the box and saying are you are you safe right now are you physically safe right now where are you i'll come get you or you know i mean that i think everybody that's a, a given for everybody here but you know, again, making sure that we're, we're, where are you right now? Bah, bah, bah. And then, you know, and then, and then taking whatever action you can, whether it's you going or you get his best buddy to go or, or whatever. Uh, I've seen multiple people in the, in my whole, when I've dealt with those folks, my whole, my whole initial concept was I need you to be safe right now. We, we can wor worry about all these other things. We can worry about all these other things, but I need you to be safe right now where are you what what's your plan for tonight what's your plan you know let's get you through tonight you know whatever it may be do we need to get your hotel room do whatever the deal is we need to make sure you're safe tonight and get you through tonight now maybe that that it means going to the er i don't know whatever you know whatever we need to do to to get them to get them through that in, in, in jumping on that, if you come in, and, and Jeff knows this, and, and Brian knows it, if you're coming on board as a peer, and I love what Springfield is doing, I wish every police chief could take that approach on picking people for their teams, because that's the key, is to have that person that's approachable. They're not doing that up in the North Shore of Massachusetts. They're being dictated, and it's, it's causing a lot of issues. But that being said, it's awful important. Um, uh, important that if you're going to come on and do the work that you do it to the best that you can don't half ass it because like you said you're not going to you're going to do more harm to the, the person than good and that goes too when we go out in a debriefing uh we make sure that our people are okay after the debriefing there's a, a level of care that goes into the peer support that we got to make sure that our people okay are okay. If in as policing, I can speak for policing, and I know the fire service is doing more of that mental health role. 
you're taking on more of the transference of these people and, and, and Brian touched on some of the stuff that, you know, when you're dealing with the, the member, you've got to be able to take that time out and say, okay, I got to check on myself because if we're not good, how can we help someone else? And that's very important in peer support. And it's a lot of time over, overlooked and continue your training. And that's huge. We had, I have one situation and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm telling you this not to brag. I'm just telling you it's, it's the true life happened. And, and the, the, the fellow I was communicating with has actually talked about it on the national stage. So uh, they had a line of duty death, uh, a tragic. Uh, the fire chief could literally, actually literally pulled one of four firefighters that were going into the basement onto the, onto the front porch they managed to get two other firefighters out, one firefighter passed. It was a, a very traumatic situation for him. He didn't want his, now his, he, he did not want his wife to know that he had this weakness, that he had this problem. So, so if you've ever seen the, the old commercial, Jake from State Farm, where the guy's on the phone and his wife comes down and says, who are you talking to? She goes, Jake from State Farm. I was Jake from State Farm. We would get up at midnight, 1230. Um, and in the early days of computers, uh, we would text before we had text phones. This is all, you know, AOL book things, whatever, room things. And we'd spend an hour and a half talking back and forth. And we'd discuss everything under the sun from arrangements to whatever necessary. Um, and we did that. We did that for a while. Uh, and that's, but that's what, that's what he had to do for himself to not show weakness to his firefighters or to his wife. Now, as the truth be told, his wife knew that he was downstairs doing something or have on the phone, on the computer. And she was happy when he told her what it was that he was, you know, talking to Jake. Um, but again, sometimes it's weird. You got to meet them where they are. You, you can't, you know, they, you got to do, you got to do whatever to, to, to make it happen. Because they, they're the ones that it's on their, what I'm trying to say is this, sometimes it's on their terms. Now, sometimes their terms are no good and we have to change that. But sometimes it's it's on their stuff. Maybe they won't, maybe they won't step into the firehouse. Maybe they, to meet with you. Maybe they won't stay, step at the, I don't know, whatever it may be. You guys have probably seen all, everything in between of places where people are willing to get together with you and have those conversations. I don't know. So as we, we're going to kind of wind down here, because we've actually been going for an hour and a half. It was a fast hour and a half. It always is on this show. We never, it always goes like lightning. Um, so ultimately, ultimately, if necessary, we may end up in, a, in, a, in an in-treatment facility, right? So what, what I've gathered from that so far is um, if you are having a substance abuse problem, you got to get out of that, right? So you're going to do a medical evaluation of that and take care of whatever you need to on there. I assume there's going to also be some other initial appraisals that go on. So uh, Mike or, or anybody, you want to just give me that first, give me the first 48 hours. Uh, and I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, uh, but... Give me the first 48 hours. Cause uh, I mean, I, we may very well have people that are, you know, thinking about this or relatives that are saying, all right, I need to prepare them for 
this time or not tell them what we're going to do or whatever it may be. Mike, you want to start or uh, Brian? Yeah. Want to, or, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so I think uh, it's a it's a great it's a great question and and it, and it really kind of you know dovetails nicely off of off of what we're we're talking about. Um, you know, I I think the key is you know you know and this goes back to when you get that call being incredibly responsive. Um, you know, we, there's that window. You know, it, we all know that window is so small. And when somebody's asking for help, you know, we have to be so proactive. And and we just cannot wait because, you know, that that person wakes up the following morning and all of a sudden everything is fine. I'm good. I can go about my day. And 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 they put it behind them. So I think that window of that first 24 hours even is just critical. And and I certainly sense that when I'm working with the different departments or agencies and and, and it's a it's a high priority to get this these people placed and 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 you know, these folks placed. And and Joe even said, I, I, I put more folks in other programs than I do into RCA because if we don't have a bed available immediately for for you know to get that 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 individual into a detox with us, you know, it's not about you know, I, I, I'm I, RCA writes my paycheck, but I don't do this for them. I, I do this for the folks that I can work work for and that I can help. So I, I think that first 24 hours is critical. If you know, if if you you have you know some, some great contacts, which I'm sure most of the folks on this on this you know that are part of this do, you know, find folks that you can trust that you can reach out to, and, and calls when I receive them, I own it. You know, I'm I'm there. I'm I'm ready to talk to. Uh, the patient, I'm ready to talk to, you know, that, that, that gal or, or that guy or gal and, and sort of, you know, calm their nerves and, and answer any questions they might have in terms of what it's going to be like when they come to RCA, um, when they decide to, you know, take that step with it, you know, what it's going to look like. We, you know, I, I answer those questions to, to the best of my ability. Um, you know, we, and, you know, I think this is important too, because there are programs out there um, you know, that, that aren't super cost effective always. So, you know, finding a program that also fits for that individual, I mean, let's face it, people that are, folks that are in crisis, oftentimes they're, they're in financial crisis as well. So we, we certainly are very transparent. We, we don't allow anybody to show up to our facility, not knowing what is, what, what those costs are going to look like, if there are going to be any. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll do, we'll kind of go through that process of verifying benefits, um, we put them in contact with with our assessment center, which you know asks them a series of questions just to determine that we're going to be the appropriate level of care for them. Um, we are a primary substance use facility. We we do not take primary mental health, so we wouldn't take somebody that we thought you know had a you know there was there was suicide, um, there was SI in there, or, or you know there was more the mental health was was more on the primary side. We would we would connect them with that the, the appropriate provider for that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times what I see or what I encounter, especially within this, this world, um, the peer support that reaches out, because generally that's where I get the first point of contact is it's somebody within their department, within their organization, within their union, within their AAP that, you know, has, has been called. And usually it's because there's some type of, a, of a, you know, something happened and they're in some type of trouble and, you know, then they're reaching out to me, um, you know, so, so, you know, it's, it's a, you know, I'm working with 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 the peer support, but you know, it's they're they're going to usually bring them up. I guess is where I'm going with that. But we can provide the transportation if necessary. Most facilities will do that, so we'll get them up to us. You know, kind of as quickly as we can. And then, you know, as Brian was mentioning, you know, this, you know, when you have a facility that really understands the importance of engaging very quickly, 
you know, I will communicate direct to Brian when I know I've got, um, uh, you know, somebody coming up to us. So Brian's aware of it. He's there the next morning. He's down there talking to him because generally there's detox and he's sort of calming the nerves. He's answering questions. He's, he's preparing them for what those next steps are going to look like while they're with us. Um, kind of getting them, you know, excited about taking that step from the detox piece to um, it's called CSS for us, the, the, the treatment side of things. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of prep, uh, just prepping him for that. Um, you know, I think in, in, in my experience with, with this, um, especially with a lot of the deep trauma that, that, that's there for, for, these, for these men and women, um, you know, what we do at RCA is we dust them off. We're not going to cure them. We can't cure them. And, 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 and we won't ever make that claim. We're not going to be able to, we don't have a silver bullet. We're going to be able to get you with the proper guidance to a place where you can do the work that you need to do. When they leave us, when they leave RCA, you know, we highly, highly, you know, we are huge advocates for you. You've got to find a program like Onsite, a program like, um, you know, Center for Excellence. There's, there's programs out there that are specific to this population that does an incredibly deep dive. Um, and that's the key. You know, you, you, you have to handle the substance use piece so that their mind is clear enough that they can work on the underlying mental health stuff, the underlying traumas, the things that are causing the substance use to keep rising to the surface. Um, and, and a responsible treatment facility will not do that because we can do more damage by digging too deep. You know, we need to, we, we need to certainly identify some of the, you know, some of the surface things that are going on and give them some tools but, you know, I think this is where, you know, the, the departments, in the, the specific departments could be incredibly valuable. We need the department help to be advocates for the employee that 30 days, although it seems like a lot when you're short staffed and, you know, you got budgets and you got all these, you know, sort of, you know, these, these obstacles that you're up against, but the department needs to be the advocate for that employee that 30 days is not enough. When somebody's come forward and they've identified that they're in a place of crisis, whether it be with substance use, primary mental health, or both, you know, these folks need 60 to 90 days. And, and that's just, you know, that's just as a general, that's a general statement, I guess. It's probably not, that's not 100% true. But I would say, at least in most of the cases that I'm working with, they're not ready in 30 days to go back and hop on, go right back to the job in most cases. You know, they've just gotten themselves to a point where they're on their feet. Now they need to do the work. And then they've got to figure out like, you know, like Joe was talking about and, and, and Jeff and, you know, what's their identity look like now that they're not, you know, who's this person that's not heavily medicated. So there's a lot of baggage that has to be unfolded and it's a process. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of great folks out there that, that can assist with that. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's having the education at the leadership level, understanding what the resources are, um, but then also aligning with great programs. And there are a bunch of them. I mean, are really solid programs. You know, I, I'll, I'll advocate for, for our Recovery Centers of America, but there's Granite. Um, Granite has a fantastic program for first responders. Um, McLean's, there's kind of that gold standard, been around for a long time. They have a fantastic problem, a program for first responders on site. Uh, center of excellence there's you know Brattleboro at one point you know had that program um and there's there's others but you know there's there's some um, there's resources out there um so you know it, it's conversations like these that, that do a great job bringing them out and really letting everybody know um you know that they're out there i gotta tell you uh, i'll see if i can get through this so when uh 
when when my guy came back, he was a different guy. And I was so overcome by that. I walked up and I gave him a hug. And I just said, welcome back. Because he was a, he was, it was night and day. It was amazing. Joe, give me your uh, first 48 there. <laughs> oh, the way, you know, our facility would work a little different. You know, like I said, if it's a substance abuse and they need a detox, um, we would work with, you know, the EDRCAs, the, the McLeans. Uh, it really depends on a lot of venues. Yeah, the bed availability, like me and Mike go back and forth all the time. With the COVID, it was awful hard to find beds. Um, some of the vetted facilities that were out of state were shut down. Um, so that was the big thing is they had them. But at, at the, the facility where, I, where I'm at, or I volunteer at, they run a, the initial program is a five-day program. Um, but they have to do an intake. They can't have any suicidal uh, uh, thoughts. They have to be uh, dry. They can't be intoxicated. Uh, that's when we would send them off to a, 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 the, the different programs like the RCAs and the McLeans. Then uh, the working partnership we have with them, they usually come back because we are a nonprofit. We don't take insurance. Um, and we, we will never turn anybody away. Um, and that's basically how it would work. We, have, we start off with a five-day program if they need more um, then it's up to the uh, the individual if they want to pursue it. But the big thing is really like we've been hammering home is to find that clinician, find the meetings, not necessarily bad meetings, finding the the way to live life the way it's supposed to be in your own community. And that's really the key, finding the program. And, and Mike talked about it is huge. So um, the other thing, if, if I can real quick, uh, there's a, an app that was developed by it's called the blue life coach. It's good for the red team. Uh, blue life coach. It was developed by uh, the same guy that developed the Brattleboro and Granite state program, Dr. Gallo. If you put it on your phone, it's got all the, um, and I know you're putting one out for the red side of the house, but it's going to be the same thing. It's got all the stuff that you need on the phone, the, the new modalities, the, the mindfulness, the breathing, um, the sleep, uh, the critical incident, the suicide prevention, the, the crisis helplines, it's all in the palm of your hands that Dr. Gallo did. So we're looking at our phone a thousand times for Facebook and other stuff. At least our members, whatever team you're on, can pick this up and start getting some education. So give me um, that again, Mike. Give me that one more time. I'm sorry, Joe. It's called Blue Life Coach. It's an app to go on all the phones. It's something that we pushed out with the Fraternal Auto Police. And I know that they're talking about just changing the name to Red Life Coach. It's the same stuff. And it's the best thing you can get right now to have the resources on your phone. Excellent. Brian. First 48. You're going to feel lousy. You're going to come into our facility and you're going to be medically detoxed safely. One of the things people don't understand is alcohol and benzos are the most dangerous drugs to come off of. They can kill you. And so we have a trained uh, medical staff in the, in the actual detox unit that is going to get your body eventually clean of the substances and like mike said what i'll do is i'll give them a few days because a lot of times they're not even aware of what the, everything's just hit them you know they're, they're going through a whirlwind and i'll give them a couple of days and i'll talk to their case manager and their therapist licensed therapist down there say okay is it a good time to come and talk to them and i'll explain what's going to happen if they decide to come upstairs and go through our residential program of, of 30 days of treatment all I'm doing is peer support. Once they come up there, and it's it's happened a lot of times where I've had the conversations, they were only going to do the medical detox 
and then to find out that they're going to have a place they can actually talk to people who are of the like mind and have been through similar circumstances. I have a gentleman right now, he was only going to do that. He's now getting ready to finish up his 30 days and he's so thrilled that he has. But my job is just to make them get over that feeling of, I took my cape off and I became this normal human being and I'm going to be stigmatized because I'm supposed to be strong and Superman. And guess what? All first responders, and I did a PowerPoint on what our program is about. And one of the biggest things I point out is that first responders are human beings first, which means we're susceptible to all the human frailties that everybody else is. Yep. It's just we have a we have an image, we have a job that we have to do that we can't be weak in regards of being able to perform our duties, but we can still be human and still be affected by things. And that's where I come in to make them realize that, you know, it can happen. It happened to me and I got through it and I'm here talking to you and for them. And I went back to my job and I finished out my career and I, I achieved a lot of different things that I wanted to do in my career. And now I have a second career that I love just as much. And it's because I realized that, yeah, I'm just human. And I had to rewrite my book, my playbook as to who I was and they can do it too. They're just human beings, just like me. It, you know, and I, and so often, uh, and, and today, I mean, listen, we are apolitical on this show, uh, but I, I do feel for the law enforcement community. Um, I know several officers that are just retiring to retire. They're just getting out because it's, it, they're just, it's just time to go. Um, and so, and then the, the concept of the corrections officer to be, you know, spending your diet, your, your whole working day with people that really don't like you. And some of them are more than capable and more than willing to kill you. Uh, we had a, we had a very large event. We brought, uh, Department of Correction folks in just to help us with traffic. And uh, we told this one young man, no one goes down the street. We used the wrong words. And so he wouldn't let residents down the street. He wouldn't let business owners down the street. Because in the, in the joint, if you say no one goes by you, no one goes by you. And we had to go and explain that's you got the wrong direction. No one from outside the community, you know, we had to kind of better define and then everything was fine. But he, they were very used to, they live in a very structured, very difficult situation. That's why they do 20 and out, right? Who wants to do that for 40 years? I did 40 years in the firehouse. Luckily for me, uh, I had to leave at 60. So the, the stop sign was right there. So I was able to prepare myself and my, my successor for that eventuality. I was still screwed up. But you know, I, I knew it was coming. There was no, I actually got better. I actually stood up straighter and I lost some weight. So that's a whole nother story. Um, uh, Jeff, give me your, uh, so from your, your, your interaction and getting them into the, into the program. So but, for us, on a peer they, support, need to go in, they need to go in facility. Okay, so for us on a peer support side, we, we present them with the options, let them make the decision, you know, tell them. We try to get a game plan of what they, um, RCA has a bed available or they don't have a bed available. We have um, on-site, leader, um, where would you like to go? Get them in there, try to help them get their personal affairs in order so that they can make a smooth transition from there to that facility and also we can take the burden off of communicating with the chain of command because they may not 
want to or be capable of doing that. Um, so that's what we can do. And after the first 48, they're out of our hands. Um, I can switch gears and tell you first 48 is a patient. Um, and for me, that was when, you know, you stop shaking the snow globe and the snow starts to settle, you know, because you're a mess. You're a hot mess. I can't, you know, put in polite terms how bad you are. But, you know, uh, the first 48, the hardest part for me was acceptance, accepting that it's OK to get help. And that was the hardest part. We don't do that in our job, man. We don't. No. We'll, we, if we want it, we'll ask for it, right? If I, I, I didn't ask for your help. I, I do don't. That. I am the help. I am 911. I, I saw the problems. That's right. And I'm it's. The um, I'm the fixer. Yeah. A sense of invincibility is necessary in what you do, but you have to find balance. Um, and that's hard. <laughs> they had, I, at my church, they had me. Uh, they had me uh, working in a thing called Stephen Ministers, where uh, you you get a little bit of training, and then basically you're letting God do the work, but you're listening and you know and and being encouraging. And they they had to get me off of there because I kept trying to fix them, and they said you can't you're you're not a fixer in this program, you you, you are let God fix them. And I they finally said you you can't do this anymore because I kept trying to. Now, fixing people that had five counselors in a given family, right? So, anyway. Uh, so, listen, gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, uh, I was going to have Mike talk about RCA a little bit, but I think you, you've done a great job of that already, if that's okay. Or do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, and, and thanks once again. I, I did I did put it in the chat for, for anybody that's, that's interested. I, I, I put my name and my cell phone number and my email, um, you know, and, and, you know, for anybody that's on the call, um, you know, you don't, you can call me anytime 24 seven, or you can give my number out to anybody that you think, you know, is, is in, is in crisis, or even if they just want to talk and, and, you know, maybe they thought about inpatient treatment, but they don't really know what to expect. I mean, I'm happy to just have that conversation and, and, you know, I'm also, I'll find them treatment. I'll find them placement, you know, and if I don't know where the right place is, I'll call somebody that does, um, you know, I don't have all the answers, but, you know, I, I, I just want to, you know, continue to do the work that, you know, and I'm not afraid to say it, you know, God's allowed me to do, um, you know, and I think that's key. I think that's important. You know, I, 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 I respect the, this world that, that, that you, you gentlemen and, and, you know, and, and, and women, I, I, for those that I can't see, um, you know, that you do, uh, it's, it, I can certainly understand where there's the opportunity to lose faith. You know, you, you're constantly, you know, witnessing and, and coming in contact with some pretty horrific stuff. Um, and, and I think that can really grind on you and, and that can lead you to a, to a place of darkness and, 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 and really a lonely lost place. And, and, and I say that because I think that's true for anybody that's really lost themselves in addiction. Um, but I think really specifically to what, to what you folks are doing. Um, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you got to find some way to, you got to find something to put some faith into, you know, and, and that's not, I'm not going to tell somebody what that path looks like for them, but I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. And, and that's where I come from. And, and I'm just happy and to, to be part of all of this. Thanks so much, Nick. Um, and again, anybody that, that, you know, if you, if you have the opportunity, if you want to call and, and I'd, I'd love to, you know, even just chat offline, you know, after all this is done. So, but thanks again. Thanks. And Michael, thanks for hooking me up with this great uh, group here.